Uh, it's Morph. He's a little goo monster shapeshifter that Silver ran into somewhere on his travels. Uh, Which I didn't get before, but I think this is, I think so. I could be wrong, but I, I'm fairly certain this is a play off of a parrot, you know, like a captain's parrot. Oh, but it, oh. But it's a morph because he would parrot what people say, he but also parrot it. them visually. That's brilliant. Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined by my dear friend and uh, master of all things Dungeons and Dragons, Monster Hunter, et cetera, Monster Hunter. <laughs> I've already failed at the English language when we're not even through the introduction. Joe Cat! Joe Cat is here! <laughs> Hello! It's very uh, flattering jo- master- to, to claim that I'm a master <laughs> at any of those things. Just claim the title when it comes, you know? Man, this is off to a, a great start. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, Joe Cat, I only have one question for you. It's the question I ask every single guest on the show. It's kind of what kicks us off here. It's really the, the crux of the issue, why we're even on this podcast. Um, why did we watch Treasure Planet? Uh, because Treasure Planet is the best Disney movie, uh, bar mm-hmm. none. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't believe that. It's definitely my personal favorite one. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely up there in a personal favorite. I don't know if it's my number one, but it's definitely up there. But having watched it again recently and, you know, being able to think about movies critically, there are some flaws in the movie. But mm-hmm. I just mostly there's a I have a soft spot for the movie, firstly, because I love pirates. Uh, <laughs> secondly, because I love adventure movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, thirdly, because I like 2D animated movies. And fourthly, most sadly, because the movie bombed at the box office yeah. and just commercially did terribly. Uh, and mm-hmm. that basically killed any potential momentum that it had for a future in terms of sequels and TV shows and all the stuff that they had planned. And also because just like, can I go on a, a slight tangent immediately? Of course, please, <laughs> please. I, I, I also just have like a kind of a spiteful love for it. Like I love it out of spite mm-hmm. because of uh, the story behind the movie's conception where um, good old uh, Musker and Clements, John Musker mm-hmm. and Ron Clements, who a lot of people like to attribute as the people who ushered in the Disney Renaissance uh, because they're the directors that created The Little Mermaid because uh, because they pitched two movies to Jeffrey Katzenberg, the CEO of Disney at the time. Uh, They pitched Treasure Planet, which is basically Treasure Island in space, uh, and (laughs) The Little Mermaid, the adaptation of the the Christian Andersen, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, is that his name? Yep. The uh, story... And so uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, mm, no to Treasure Planet, yes to The Little Mermaid. And then they were like, all right, cool, we'll make Little Mermaid. And then Little Mermaid was massive success, made a lot of money. And then uh, after that, they're like, hey, we showed you that we can do good. We got a lot of money for you. Can we make Treasure Planet now? And he's like, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, nah. Make Aladdin instead. And then I'm like, okay, fine, we'll make Aladdin. <laughs> and then Aladdin comes out, and that also does amazing and great and lots of money. And then, once again, uh, Musker and Clements come to Jeffrey Katzenberg, and they're like, can we please make Treasure Planet now? We want to do mm-hmm. it. We show, even if it's a risk, we've made you so much money. And good old Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, mm, make me one more movie that's going to make a ton of money. And so they made Hercules... 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the movies that lots of people attribute to ending the Disney Renaissance. Uh, and then uh, what's really sad as well is after that movie came out, and it made a lot of money, although I think mm-hmm. critically and just like looking back at it, there's a fantastic analysis by Lindsay Ellis just kind of taking down what doesn't really work about Hercules. What's really sad is after Hercules came out and it made a bunch of money, Jeffrey Katzenberg left Disney. So he never got to fulfill his promise of letting these guys make Treasure Planet. It had to be someone else. It had to be a new CEO uh, who came in and they were like, all right, sure, you can make Treasure Planet now. And then they did. It got no marketing. Uh, In fact, some of the uh, commercials and TV spots for the movie actually spoiled major parts of it. And uh, it uh, bombed at the box office, and I feel yep. really, really sad. And that's another reason why I, I kind of feel as though, like, it is my duty <laughs> to <laughs> kind of let people know about this movie and how great mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, it's, 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 it's from that period of movies where they really weren't having a lot of hits that I feel like now, in retrospect, a lot of, I, I don't know about you, but I was growing up in, like, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, this, maybe like Atlantis is probably the other big example of movies that mm. didn't do well critically or financially, but there's a lot of nostalgia for them now. Absolutely. Treasure Planet absolutely falls into that category, so I'm also very excited to discuss it. Uh, yeah, got, me yeah, too. You gotta love some space pirates. I mean, what what could you go wrong, right? Two of the coolest things combined together. Pirates exactly. and space. Exactly. Something about, you know, Star Trek was onto something. You put naval battles in space and it's, you're, mm-hmm. you've got a winning formula. Speaking of winning formulas, how does this planet open? Uh, somber violin music, as all great films do. Oh, yes. <laughs> that oh, is in the I subtitles. Had... Also, it is noted as somber violin music. This is not a creation yes. of my own. <laughs> also, can I say immediately, like when I was watching mm-hmm. this with my partner uh, to catch up on it, it's like I love this like colonial violin because that's such a yeah. such an aspect of American culture that I don't think we embrace enough. This mm-hmm. like colony era you know just like somber violin that's only ever played in like the american or like american revolution movies and like uh the uh, it's like such good music i love (laughs) colonial era pirates because they have the best soundtracks yes i think this movie overall does a really good job of kind of playing with those fun aesthetic and in this case musical elements that give it that kind of colonial flavor uh, mm-hmm. While still completely, definitely, it's like so deeply a sci-fi movie. It's just pulling all the best elements for um, you ever heard, the aesthetic of the ships and things. Yeah. Have you ever heard how they achieved that aesthetic? Like they had a, a rule. Ooh. Oh, no, please do tell. So basically the art direction for the movie is they had a 70-30 rule. So 70% of it had to be old, you know, very old world, colonial. Uh, but the other 30% could be sci-fi, you know, space Mm-hmm. technology steampunk stuff and it's like it i think it is kind of steampunk it's not like the obnoxious yeah. steampunk where there's pipes everywhere and gold and blaring and like mm-hmm. i think it's a good mix and that's how they did for for every 70 percent of things would be old 30 percent of things would be sci-fi technology and futuristic stuff you know what that really explains is uh, Jim's haircut. The yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's the small ponytail with the bangs, but that undercut mm-hmm. is that thirty percent of sci-fi. Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> That's it's a haircut great. that I think has never been matched in uh, animation. That might be. I have some thoughts about it because it comes back at the end. But uh, <laughs> as 
As we admire the sad violin music, a narrator begins to describe to us the great merchant galleons and ships and the pirates who pursued them, the most feared of all being Captain Nathaniel Flynn. He's got like six eyes. Um, I, something I think that they do really fun in this is the aliens aren't really explained. It's not like here is this species yeah. of alien and that's just it. It just... They're they don't need to people. know the context. Yeah. They're just people. They just have fun designs. There's all different kinds of aliens. I, I, almost every character, actually every character except for Jim and his mother are aliens. So mm-hmm. get someone introduced, get some fun We're things. We're also introduced to their take on space, what they call the ethereum, mm-hmm. which is space that you can breathe in. You yes. know, th- this movie's <laughs> kind of taking liberties with physics, and we'll see a lot more of that later. But mm-hmm. I think it definitely allows... Just more cool stuff. It's like because yeah. space is supposed to be like this version of the ocean. You know, you can exist mm-hmm. in the ocean. You can swim in it. And similar with space, space is just a 3D ocean, I guess. Well, the ocean <laughs> is 3D, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a... Oh, man, there's really no substitute word for 3D, but more. Our six-eyed alien Captain Flynn uh, is... On the attack of this galleon, he's going for this great merchant ship. Uh, and as this battle ensues, we see a, a child's face appear in the skies and slowly pull out to reveal that it's baby Jim. He's not in the sky. He's reading like a hollow book at home, which is such cool technology. Get on it, inventors. His mom enters his room and tells him, get, you know, get to bed. You're staying up too late. But he begs to keep reading and his mom relents and they finish the story. We see the end of the pirate attack as they gather the spoils and vanish into the ethereum without a trace. We hear from the narrator that Flynn's secret trove was never found, but it's rumored to remain hidden in the farthest reaches of the galaxy on Treasure Planet. Hey, that's the name of the movie. (laughs) Whoa, crazy. I wonder where they got that from. (laughs) (laughs) The story done, Jim's mom tucks him into bed as he kind of like keeps excitedly asking about Treasure Planet. This is a story that like clearly has really hit home for this kid and he's like i know it's real you know it's out there and as she leaves and closes the door and the lights go out the narration starts up again and under the covers little jim opens up the book and starts reading once more flash forward to the future teen jim which you know he's teen jim because now he's got that cool haircut we were talking about earlier (laughs) is uh hoverboarding on like a hoverboard glider solar glider combo uh through the skies he's turned into a real thrill seeker Uh, As he goes out of the clouds and lets himself start falling back down to the planet, he kind of glides through an industrial plant, going through all sorts of crazy stunts, clearly a very skilled flyer, before getting pulled over by the robot cops. One thing I want to say about this sequence, and also the ship Mm -hmm. sequence of Captain Flint just, like, taking over uh, and, like, bombarding, is um, we see liberal use of Disney's, like, uh, kind of sort of CGI 3D mm-hmm. rendering technology called Deep Canvas, which was mm-hmm. something that I think they invented for Tarzan for all of the kind of scenes where he's sliding along the the vines and tree stuff. And it's really cool to see that they've like basically perfected it where you get to yeah. see these, what would have been matte paintings, but they're in the matte painting style, moving through 3D space and 3D objects rendering, it's a very different type of CG that I think mm-hmm. lends well, and it feels like a natural progression to those static or layered like 2D images that we've seen in the past. And it's it's so cool how they blend it all together. Yeah, I was. I'm always surprised going back to this movie at how seamless it looks because you know there's a certain awareness that parts of it are CG versus 2D, but it, they do a really, really excellent job of blending it to the point where it's almost mm-hmm. hard to notice in some of some sequences. Yeah, and how how it works is really cool. Is like they wouldn't texture 
these mm -hmm. items and then put them into a 3D space like you would normally any other CG thing. Because normally uh, in CGI and 3D animation, you would have an environmental artist who would create the item and then put it in the environment. Instead, they would kind of create the form of the item. I think, I, I could be wrong in this, but this is mm -hmm. how I'm pretty sure I understand how it works, where they would put the skeleton, basically the form and shape of the object, in the scene, and then they would have an environmental artist, artist go in and paint them as the scene moves through so that they know which angles you know they'll be able to see and paint them specifically for that angle. It's just, it's really fascinating animation technology. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's hard, like 2D animation, you, you can conceive of how it happens, drawing the cells or, you know, what have you. But the 3D animation, especially this early on, this movie came out in like 2002. Uh, mm. It's always really interesting to hear about how it actually comes together. Yeah. Neat. But poor Jim is not having good luck coming together. Uh, but we cut away from him for the moment, as at the Benbow Inn, uh, Miss Hawkins, his mom, is waiting tables, including the table of <laughs> Delbert, a dog man, reading and being stared at by a frog girl. He tries to shoo her away, but she eats his food and hops off, uh, causing Miss Hawkins to remark how adorable they are at that age. Although our new dog friend is not quite so fond of the <laughs> frog girl that ate his breakfast. How is Jim doing? Uh, his mom starts to talk about how he's turned a corner, and of course, in that moment, she's immediately forced to eat her words as the RoboCops arrive with Jim in tow at the front of the inn. Uh, he's turned the wrong corner, so to speak. The RoboCops inform his mother that his violation constitutes a violation of his probation, and as she kind of like sputters to try and help, uh, Dr. Delbert Doppler, <laughs> the noted astrophysicist, speaks up. He's an old friend of the family, uh, and although he tries to speak on Jim's behalf, it doesn't really help all that much. Since Jim has repeatedly violated the statue, or, you know, he's done lots of youth crimes. Uh, good old delinquent <laughs> scenarios. Yeah. Good old, you know, teen rebellion. Uh, mm -hmm. They've impounded his vehicle, and any more mistakes will land him in Juvie, the Slammer, etc. I love how much sass these cops have. There's like a weirdly... Um, you know, you know, when you hear like a robot cop, you expect, okay, very by the books, by the numbers, not a lot of variation. I do like that the robots in this movies have a lot of personality and you get your first yeah. taste of it with these cops here. His mother kind of assures them like, oh, it won't happen again. And the cops take a chance to call Jim like a loser. They know his type before motoring away. Uh, having gone silent to watch the scene of teen rebellion, the whole inn rapidly resumes eating as Jim's mother begins to scold him. And Jim just sort of starts dejectedly bussing tables. He tries to talk off his acts of uh, teenage rioting, and she just says, you know, I don't want you to throw your life away. I don't want you to throw your future away, prompting a melodramatic, what future from Jim? We love mm -hmm. uh, good old-fashioned teen spirit. Yep. And immediately, <laughs> we, we see the establishing uh, kind of characteristic. First, we learn that he's wide-eyed as a kid, mm -hmm. and whatever happened during the time skip, we know now that... He feels as though he has no future. He feels like there's nothing for him. And mm -hmm. we can probably put two and two together that that is why he goes and does all these delinquent things, because he's basically throwing his life away, uh, thrill-seeking, because, you know, he doesn't feel as though he can do anything worthwhile. It's like, why bother? I'm just going to be the failure that I am. Why bother trying? You know, which is a very sad and empathetic thing i think for a lot mm -hmm. of uh teenagers his age growing up <laughs> in that time period uh that the yeah. movie was released in yeah exactly um later on on the roof 
Jim overhears Doppler and his mom talking about him. Uh, this is where we learn what happened in that that time skip his father left and since then Jim's never really been the same you know he's smart he built his first glider very young but he's always failing at school and constantly in trouble and his mom's just really you know stressed out she doesn't know what to do about that as they chat down below a ship crashes into the nearby dock and Jim rushes down to help uh from outside of this very eerie steam-filled ship jumps a shriveled looking old guy and a treasure chest who immediately starts cryptically warning of someone coming who's after his chest uh, someone's chasing him down billy bones as we learn is his name is on the run from a cyborg and his crew and declares that they'll have to pry the chest from his cold dead fingers before promptly hacking up a storm uh, <laughs> as J jim begins to help him back up into the inn inside <laughs> Inside, Sarah is reminiscing about how she dreams one day. Jim, she'll open the door and Jim will be her happy little boy again, dragging in a new pet and begging her to let him keep it, which immediately cues Jim entering through the door with Billy Bones in tow uh, as he drags the injured dude inside. Uh, you know, Billy Bones takes the opportunity to take something out of the chest, a little small circle, circular bundle, cryptically warning Jim about the cyborg. Uh, fun, fun little thing. I just appreciate that... This movie is definitely an adaptation of Treasure Island and that Billy mm -hmm. Bones was a character in the original <laughs> Treasure Island story. Uh, you know, I think just like some crazy guy washed up ashore. And mm -hmm. I like that they made him this weird, like, alien turtle guy. <laughs> yes. I spent so long staring at the screen trying to figure out what... Because all the aliens in this movie are kind of based on animals and other various things. So I was trying to figure out what he was. And a turtle seems like a pretty solid guess. I... Mm -hmm. I think they might have called him a slug later on. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what Bones is up to. Um, as Bones unfortunately does meet his end, another ship very ominously approaches through the storm and shadowy figures land and start approaching the inn. Uh, our gang runs as laser blasts begin to fire off into the inn, uh, starting to start a little kindling inside of it. And the figures start turning it up and down, looking for the thing that Jim now has in his possession. Jim, his mom, and Doppler make their escape with the help of Delilah, a almost horse, like two-legged <laughs> alien horse thing. And as they ride away, Sarah looks back at her burning inn as a somber mood overtakes them all. Uh, Jim unwraps the object to find a mysterious gold sphere now in his possession. Later on at Doppler's, we learn that uh, the inn has burned to the ground thanks to the pirates who attacked. And uh, it seems like this was, you know, a lot of trouble for a little gold sphere. But as Doppler kind of talks about how perplexed he is by this mysterious puzzling sphere, Jim just kind of pokes at it and finds a way to open it up. And it's a crazy big holographic map. So yeah. I, one, I love the holographic effects in this movie. They're oh, so yeah. pretty. Well, one thing, the, the first, I guess this is more of a nitpick than anything, but it's mm -hmm. just kind of like something I noticed that I didn't notice as a kid is like how Jim somehow figures out how to use the map <laughs> is kind of... A little bit of a convolution. It's like, yeah. how did you do that? Just by randomly pressing the buttons, you know? It's like, eh. especially since, you know, later on it becomes somewhat of a plot point that nobody yeah. else knows how to use the map. But uh, I guess it's not that big a deal. But yeah, I, that, that is one thing. It's like, huh, well, that's convenient <laughs> you know that he pressed that? the buttons yeah, and turned it in a very specific way <laughs> that allowed it's him to look like, at the map. Um magical choosy artifactness it's very like oh mm -hmm. you're the chosen one of course you're the only one who can use the map but it, it, it doesn't really there's not really a reason that's given in the, in the no. text for that um you know mm -hmm. there's not really a good reason that uh you know 
pirates later on or Doppler here would not. I be think able it would have been nice. Push buttons. <laughs> I think it would have been nice to enforce that thing that they say about him being smart. Mm-hmm. Um, if he, if I don't know, maybe they had depicted him studying the the sphere and like analyzing it and then figuring it out through uh smarts and wits mm-hmm. and cleverness rather than him lazily just pressing a few buttons and randomly turning and then suddenly oh i just so happen to press the right combination of buttons and yeah. turning the orb this uh edgeless rubik's cube uh i don't know <laughs> I, I feel some missed potential there to to for some cab- character establishing you know thing yeah. to reinforce because we're told that he's smart mm-hmm. but you know we don't really see it which i guess some could argue that this scene is to show that he's smart but i don't know i feel as though how it's depicted he's just like kind of oh whatever you know yeah his his whole like uh grumpy teenness kind of offsets any sort of flashes of brilliance he might have had mm-hmm. in this moment i, I agree it's a, it's a missed opportunity for like some kind of background character development or mm-hmm. not development but display i guess mm-hmm. um yeah as they open this map, uh, Dr. Doppler starts pointing out various places, uh, finally following a thread of galaxies and planets until they find Treasure Planet, the one place Jim calls out, because of course he recognizes it. It's from all mm-hmm. of his stories. He's extremely excited. This is the answer to all of their problems. Of course, all this treasure, they could rebuild the end ten times over. Uh, but his mom's like, no, this is dangerous. This is crazy. You know, Doppler, tell him you can't just go off on a wild adventure. Uh, which prompts Doppler to, Doppler to re- immediately chime in with, yes, yes, crazy dangerous. That's, of course, why I should go with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, got, he's got his financial backing. Doppler's going to use his savings to finance the expedition. Uh, he's been waiting for a chance for adventure his old life as well. Jim's mom is hesitantly comes around to agreeing after Jim makes one last heartfelt plea. Uh, and the gang is like, all right, fine. You two can go off in search of Treasure Planet. We're off to the spaceport, which looks like it's on a crescent moon, but turns out to actually be the crescent moon, which is very cool. Yeah, (laughs) that's such a cool reveal. I still remember just when that was first shown, like, as a kid, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, the moon? And then it's like, that's no moon. That's no moon. (laughs) Especially because, like, any, any... one who knows just the minimum amount of uh, astrology can notice whenever you're going to the moon, you can see stars in what would be the shadow of the moon. It's like, that wouldn't be the case. But then it's like, <laughs> oh, it's not a moon. Oh. It's just a crescent space station. And then we see more of their, you know, deep canvas because the whole thing has mm-hmm. been deep canvassed. And then you zoom in just this. Ah, it's so cool. It's excellent. It's a really fun transition. And mm-hmm. it lets us kind of whoosh over the various uh, docks and craft. All of the spaceships in this movie look like galleons and sailing ships and what have you. And it's very aesthetically pleasing. Uh, finally, we sort of land on a shuttle where Jim and Doppler, who's now wearing a crazy, uh, unwieldy spacesuit of some sort, exit uh, and join the hordes swarming around the port. Uh, Doppler is very excited to kind of get to know Jim as well, who sort of just like laughs him off as they set about finding the ship. Uh, and eventually, with the help of some friendly locals, they make it to the RLS Legacy, a beautiful galleon preparing for takeoff and their method of transportation. Jim steps aboard and immediately pisses off a giant slug alien who makes flatulence noises at him and Doppler is forced to translate for uh, (laughs) (laughs) through a series of armpit uh, fart noises and raspberries. Doppler eventually asks at the captain, quote-unquote, if everything is ship-shaped, which prompts the very large, well-dressed rock guy to chuckle as he's not the captain. The captain is aloft, uh, and we see 
acrobaticing her way down from the rigging, uh, <laughs> the captain herself, Captain Amelia, cat lady, cats and dogs, very funny at Disney. Yes, um, you see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Although one thing, one thing I want to say, I mm-hmm. should have said it uh, during the moment that it was relevant, but this might be me overanalyzing the blue curtains. But um, I really appreciate the small moment of uh, when Doppler first comes down uh, with his insane spacesuit. Uh, <laughs> we see Jim kind of like blow him off and kind of scoff at him. Mm-hmm. It's like let's just get through this uh, until uh, like when they reach the flatula alien. And mm-hmm. Doppler's like, I speak flatula. I learned it in college. And we get a, a, a nice <laughs> small moment of Jim being like, oh, actually, this guy's ki- actually kind of cool. Yeah. So, huh. I, cool. I thought he was just kind of dork that I would have to put up with. He's, kinda, he's just like, flatula, cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think just like that small moment there. Something this movie does really well is the small little character interactions between all the... the bi- There's a fairly large cast, but the cast that we really follow, we get to see a lot of good moments that sort of establish relationships really quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a great example of kind of the Jim and Doppler... Doppler effect. The Jim and Doppler relationship. <laughs> um, we'll see it, you know, a bit here now with uh, Captain Amelia and uh, Mr. Arrow, her first mate. And they just have like an instant rapport. You completely understand their relationship just from, from very small interactions. Uh, and mm-hmm. that that's great because it lets us kind of speed through the dialogue and keep focus on the adventure. Because at the end of the day, this is an adventure movie. Yeah, Um, you can quickly understand how characters feel about each mm -hmm. other. Yeah, which is a relief, because sometimes that can get lost in the flow in a more adventure Oh, yeah, there are so many movies. I'm noticing it more and more. (laughs) There are so many movies where it's like two... A combination of two characters will have never interacted ever. Mm -hmm. So you're like... Even just a small interaction between them that doesn't have to do with forwarding the plot can give you a good idea of just another side of them, you know? Yeah. Oh, man, what what show was it that I watched where that was the case? <laughs> and I was like, please just have a conversation about something or or something <laughs> interesting. I think, oh, it was The Mandalorian. Uh, slight oh. spoilers for The Mandalorian Season 2. Have you seen Season 2? I have, yes. Okay, it's when the other Mandalorians um, and what's her name, the buff lady, kind of are sieging the kind of imperial ship together. Uh, oh, buff lady. Cara Dune, I think her name is. Yeah, yeah, that's so. Yeah, Cara, that's right. Cara Dune and like the female Mandalorians and the like assassin woman, like they're <laughs> they're sieging this and all that, and it's like. They say nothing to each other. It's like these are all such vastly different characters, mm-hmm. and they have they have no friendly banter either. It's like <laughs> the most boring, dry. Like I think the maybe the the director was too scared of like any potential backlash of having two women talk to each other that wouldn't be approved by general audiences or or mm. anything because because writing dialogue for women is scary, right? But like oh, terrifying. <laughs> Like like one scene where where just like Cara Dune is shooting and there's like a stormtrooper that's sneaking up on her and the assassin shoots the stormtrooper for her and she just looks at her and she goes, Thanks. And I'm like, what, no friendly ba- no cool banter, <laughs> no like no like, hey, I had that one, you know, or like yeah. like and then the she could, you know, bark back of like, You had your eye you you had squat, I had that one, you know, like just like mm-hmm. some because they these are very larger than these are very big characters metaphorically speaking like they they have egos and like all this stuff but i guess they're too scared to make women fight even a little bit because then you know i don't know yeah 
it's especially frustrating that we're pretty much in the era where the philosophy of a lot of major action and thriller screenwriting is put quips in there that when there's yeah. a moment where a quip actually could serve to further uh, the audience's understanding of characters and they don't put it in there, it they fe- don't, it's a they, very yeah, blatant people, omission. They put quips <laughs> everywhere, but no, there's... there's uh, anyway. Every movie yeah. is like 50% quip by volume. At least make the quips mm-hmm. serve a purpose. And I... To kind of bring it back to Treasure Planet, this movie does a great job of letting those funnier jokes and quips serve yes. a purpose in that we learn exactly. something about character relationships through it. You know, yeah. the flatulence joke never pays dividends in terms of plot, but we learn how Jim and Doppler feel about each other through it. It's a very important mm-hmm. moment and yeah. it's a quip that serves a purpose. Uh, yeah. And we, we get those with every, like every mm-hmm. character gets to interact with every other character. Yep. We get Doppler act, uh, interacting with Amelia. We get Do- Doppler and Arrow. We get Doppler and Jim. We get Jim and Arrow. We get Jim and mm-hmm. Amelia. We get, you know, all the combinations of characters interacting with each other. And that's great. Yeah. It, it's beautiful. We'd love to see a web of connected characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, Amelia, ca- Captain, does introduce Mr. Arrow to us at this point, her first mate, uh, and Doppler goes to introduce Jim and begins to mention the treasure out loud and obvious on the deck, but uh, the captain stops him before he can get too many words out and asks for a word in her stateroom. Uh, in the, the safety of the confined space, she scolds him for blabbering about the map in front of this particular crew and takes the moment to call him an inept in inept and imbecilic in a very caring way uh she asks to see the map which jim lets her view she promptly locks it in a cabinet in her stateroom and demands jim calls her captain or ma'am from this point forward which he sighs at and rolls his eyes at because he's a rebellious teen but eventually does begrudgingly do uh reminding doppler to zip his howling screamer as she puts it uh the captain says that she's not particularly fond of the crew that he hired and arrow reminds her of how she described them before she had her coffee which was of course a ludicrous parcel of driveling galoots uh, I love the way they wrote Captain Amelia's dialogue in this movie. It's snappy, but very yeah. highbrow and a fun, she is, fun she's way. She's very girl boss, <laughs> as the kids would mm-hmm. say. Yes. <laughs> uh, she has Arrow escort Doppler and Jim to the galley so that she can continue preparations for launch and informs Jim that he'll be working for the cook, Mr. Silver. Yes, another another uh, adaptation of the character, Long, Long John Silver. Yes. <laughs> But in this case, silver as in referring to the metal. Yes. As we'll learn, silver is a cyborg. Down in the kitchen, we see said cyborg, uh, which makes Jim immediately suspect as the old, old bones from before warned him of the cyborg that was pursuing him. Uh, The very friendly and personable silver tells him, you know, not to be put off by the mechanical arms and bits and what have you. Uh, he's got, like, half of him is mechanic, so with his eye, one arm, and one leg, essentially. Which, by the way, a, an amazing blending of CGI and 2D, because both yeah. his arm and his leg are all CG, and they did a fantastic job of, like, making it at least blend well artistically and animation-wise with the mm-hmm. rest of the 2D animated character of, of uh, Silver. And it's like, oof. Like, you can definitely tell that it's uh-huh. CG because it moves a very different way. But still, like, at a glance, it just fits the style. Yeah. If you impressive. don't go looking for it, it's hard to, to clock it immediately if you're just, like, along mm-hmm. for the ride. And that's that's admirable because that's how, that's how most people are watching this movie. Not a... Also, Disney has always done very well with making you, f- like, it's almost like you can feel the material the mm-hmm. characters made out of and they did a fantastic job of making silver just look like a big soft huggable like squishy 
dog alien man. Yeah. He's shaped like a friend. He's shaped like a friend. <laughs> Speaking of um, being shaped like a friend, he gives Jim and Doppler some stew. But as Jim goes for a bite, his spoon turns into another friend-shaped creature. It's a little pink goo with a face. <laughs> I love The best uh, character in the, the movie. The best character. Uh, it's Morph. He's a little goo monster shapeshifter that Silver ran into somewhere on his travels. Uh, Which I didn't get before, but I think this is... I think so. I could be wrong, but I, I'm fairly certain this is a play off of a parrot, you know, like a captain's parrot. Oh, but it, oh. but it's a morph because he would parrot what people say, he but also parrot it. them visually. That's brilliant. It's <laughs> like, a yeah, I, I thought it's like, wait a minute. He sits on his, sho- his shoulder. He mimics back what he says. Is this supposed to be a space parrot? And I think it is. I love that's. I'm so glad you, you clocked that because I didn't. But that's brilliant. Ah, mm-hmm. Space parrot. What a good space parrot. <laughs> I love Morph. I mean, he he's even a gives little, him a cracker. A like at the end of the scene, Silver gives him a little cracker and he starts yes. eating it very adorably. So I'm pretty sure he was supposed to be like a space parrot stand-in. Oh, incredible. I don't know if Long John Silver had a parrot or any such putt in Treasure Island. I haven't read Treasure Island, so I'm not able yeah, to pull neither. those parallels. But uh, if so, great. Even if not, pirate parrot in space, little blob of shape-shifting goo. Chef's kiss, incredible. <laughs> Um, and Morph will periodically throughout the film just be turning into, you know, people and repeating what they say in little miniatures and what have you. He's a shapeshifter. That's the key part to get about this character introduction. Mm-hmm. And he's adorable. As they're all meeting for the first time, a bell dings. It's about time to get underway. Doppler and Arrow go to watch the launch, leaving Jim in the care of Silver, which neither of them seem particularly thrilled about. Uh, and Jim immediately starts trying to suss out if Silver is the cyborg who burned down his mom's inn, kind of asking around about ways if he's ever been to Montressor, the planet that Jim is from, and mentioning the old, sa- they call him a salamander here, old salamander who told him about a cyborg, and what was ah, his name? he's a salamander, I okay. <laughs> I, that's what Jim calls him. I'm not sure if he actually is a salamander or if that's just his roundabout way. It's hard to tell because this scene he's being specifically obtuse so yeah he's probing yeah yeah um and when he says the name bones he watches to see if silver has any reaction but he doesn't show any awareness of knowing the name or the planet um and kind of is like oh there's a slew of cyborgs at this port silver then sends jim off to watch the launch since there'll be plenty of work for him afterwards but you know you're an excitable kid go enjoy the thrills of space travel um and jim leaves letting Morph and Silver decide that they'll keep a sharp eye on Jim, ominously watching from the background, trying yeah. to keep us I on also our love, toes. <laughs> I love how they do uh, Silver as a villain, mm-hmm. because um, his villainy is not a major twist in the movie. Like, it's yeah. kind of, if you're paying attention, you can kind of figure out early on... Um, and if you can't figure it out, you're wondering. And it's kind of like dramatic irony of, like, when's Jim going to find out? Why is he being mm-hmm. so mysterious? And it's like a slow build. And now it's more like a – it's like the tension thing where, like, there's a bomb there's a bomb under the table and will go off in five minutes. And then, you know, it's like dramatic irony. It's like, oh, God, what are they going to do before the bomb goes off? It's like, you know, it's not yeah, – the reveal exactly. isn't that there is a bomb. You already know there's a bomb. You already know that – Silver is maybe a little suspicious and maybe not a trustworthy guy, but you're wondering, mm-hmm. okay, how is it going to get there? You know, and I, I love that tension building from just letting the audience know that something's up with this guy immediately. Yeah, Jim is our audience point of view character. So, you know, 
what we're concerned about watching it is like when will Jim figure these things out? Yeah. But showing the audience more clues to let them put stuff together is like you mentioned, it's tension building, it's it's dramatic irony, uh, and they mm-hmm. they pull it off really well in here and kind of pacing how quickly they show explicitly what Silver is up to, uh, eventually culminating, of course, when Jim finds out. Yeah. The captain and Arrow begin loosing the sails, the solar sails furling, unfurling out from the ship, rising up over the port as Jim runs around the deck watching everyone scuttle about Which their I gotta business. Say, solar sails is such a clever so thing cool. to do because they're basically, you know, satellites have solar yeah. sails. They're the big flat things <laughs> that are hanging by the sides and it's like they just put that on ship sails. And, of course, they would need a lot of surface area. It's just so clever. And, of course, there's lights all over the sky. The stars, they're bringing in solar energy from the star. Ah, it's so <laughs> clever. I love how they so did smart. the technology in this movie. Yeah, and it lets you keep the aesthetic of the old ships, but completely make yeah. it make it make sense within the universe of the how everything functions in this movie. Yeah. Um, it's so cool. And it just looks great. You know, like visually, yeah. <laughs> there's something the that's sales, uh, The sails aren't propelling the, the ship. They're drawing yeah. energy for the thrusters of the ship because all the <laughs> ships have thrusters in the back. And it's, mm, it's so good. I love, mm, I love it. I love that they kind of like tease the bigger solar sails early on too because Jim's glider yeah. in the beginning has one. So you get to kind of get your little t- taste of what it's going to be. And then the big mm-hmm. moment of seeing the full ship with sails uh, yep, even yep. hits home and you kind of get the idea of like jim has seen this technology he's familiar with it and this is his big oh wow moment as well and yeah it's very, it feels as momentous as it should which is mm-hmm. great they engage the artificial gravity enter their heading and head off full speed ahead uh jim hangs from the rigging dramatically as every ya protagonist on the boat is wont to do <laughs> and <laughs> you know watches as a pod of space whales quote-unquote swim by uh doppler leans in to take a picture at one of one and gets hit with a spray from its blowhole getting a little chuckle out of amelia so you know maybe they're going to be friends after all who knows as the captain chuckles about uh, Doppler's misfortune, Silver arrives on the deck and tries to kind of butter her up, sweet talk her a little bit, but she's not impressed, scolding him for letting Jim go out and about on the deck uh, and causing Silver to promptly turn about and give Jim a mop and bucket to get back to cabin boying because Jim is the lowest guy in the totem pole of the ship, even though it is kind of his expedition. Um, he's he's got he's to earn his keep. While mopping, Jim notes the rough-and-tumble nature of a lot of the crew who are all sort of, like, milling about and scolding him when he spends too long looking their way. Um, One who Jim kind of sasses back at is a spider dude named Mr. Scroop, uh, who very nearly kills Jim (laughs) for looking too long, but Silver interjects on Jim's behalf and Scroop kind of backs off. Uh, Scroop is the most obviously villainous-looking character on the ship, and that is completely intentional. (laughs) And completely yeah. intentional. Um, he's the kind of surrogate bad guy until we get to a little later in the film and the real villain is fully revealed. Arrow appears and reminds the crew that anyone caught brawling will be confined to the brig for the duration of the journey and takes the opportunity to kind of like give Scroop an especial look over, uh, giving us a little bit of an idea of their rivalry as well, which will be important later. Silver scolds Jim and scold for, you know, not knowing how to pick his fights and sets him back to scrubbing the deck deck leaving morph with him i don't Ooh, know why every thing, time we Morph's also see up, I can't say it. we also see silver eyeing scroop implying mm-hmm. that there's some kind of hierarchy and that scroop yes. answers to silver like kind of adding in like these more hints of like mm, they're up to something we don't know there's, what there's some complex also, dynamics going on in jim and we see a little bit more rein- character reinforcing of uh how jim is just a 
he's just a delinquent. He he <laughs> like whenever he has a chance to back out, he insults group, and mm-hmm. even when he knows that he is clearly going to be beat up, he continues to egg him on. Like yeah. this this kid just really likes just ruining his own day. Yeah, kind of like a reoccurring theme they'll call out is that Jim doesn't know how to pick his battles, and this is a really mm-hmm. good example of it. Very um, much so. You know, he he keeps sassing even though it's you know it's a real fuck around and find out moment. Um, mm-hmm. And he he hasn't found out yet, but it's kind of just through luck and others' intervention. Below deck, Silver and the rest of the crew have a little meeting where Silver scolds them for being daft. They're gonna blow the whole mutiny before it's time. So now we know the whole crew led by silver is cooking up something nefarious but uh none of our protagonists have heard that yet so just keep that in the back of your mind for the duration of the journey uh you know he's like stick to the plan and i'll keep jim too busy to think about you know stuff that's going on as scroop complains that jim was eyeing them too closely and he's worried the boy is going to find out that night jim and morph recap their day uh, bemoaning the various goings-on as Silver appears to throw out the scraps. Uh, Jim thanks him for his help earlier, and Silver kind of asks, like, oh, you know, did your dad never teach you to pick your fights more carefully? And Jim's like, no. He left. And we get more confirmation of that angsty backstory. Jim's dad left when he was young, and he's been fatherless ever since. Um, Which seems to move Silver a little bit, as he's like, well, in that case, let's teach you some skills and keep you busy, uh, which we know is also for the purpose of keeping him distracted. Mm-hmm. We get a little montage. Uh, the song I'm Still Here, which is like the song of the movie, plays in the background. It also yeah, it slaps. <laughs> it is. It is. It slaps. And I didn't realize. This is not a, this is not a complaint. Mm-hmm. I, I find it more hilarious than anything that how on the nose the lyrics are. You know? <laughs> it's just like, it's very much like, uh, I wish I, I, that I had a father figure. And I wish that I had... <laughs> You know, I want to feel something that's real. It's so angsty and so, like, it's like you you couldn't have made it more, like, literal. Jim's Uh, whole, like, internal strife is that people keep leaving and he's still there. And the song is literally mm -hmm. titled I'm Still Here. So (laughs) connect those dots. It's... yeah, oh. and there is there is a nice uh, small moment as well when uh, Silver, uh, in during the montage, Silver mm-hmm. uh, takes a small like boat, I guess boat yep. ship, that uh, <laughs> one of those one of those things that are in ships that are on the yeah, side. Yeah, I think they call them the long boats. Long boats, yes. He takes a long boat out, and immediately we see that this is triggers a memory, a traumatic mm-hmm. memory in Jim of his actual father who he's starting to see Silver as more of a father figure, uh, showing him the ropes and basically disciplining him, something that only his mother has ever done, and mm-hmm. to which I'm sure that he blew off a lot before, but now he doesn't. he's not able to blow that off. So he is now forced to follow the orders and disciplines of this male kind of paternal figure and making that connection. And now when he, even if it's just a brief moment seeing him leave, reminds him of the moment that his other paternal figure left. But then immediately after that memory is finished, we see that, no, Silver's waiting for him. Silver is mm-hmm. ready for Jim to join him on the longboat. And he is ecstatic at this. He leaps into the boat without a second thought and kind of brings him to see just just a nice little trip to yeah, follow a, a, a space joyride. comet. Yeah. yeah, Nice little joyride, something that I'm sure that he longed for uh, with his actual dad. 
It's yeah, just a nice little, he, nice little connecting montage. Yeah, he lets Jim drive, and you know, so he gets to be like, "Oh, Jim, you're such a good pilot," and we get you know reassured that Jim is not quite a skilled flyer. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, montage cuts between various ship tasks, like uh, learning to tie knots and scraping barnacles off the side of the ship, space barnacles, uh, peeling potatoes, etc., and Jim's backstory. Um, and as they sort of like dock from their longboat ride, as you mentioned, uh, they chat about how Jim is going to change how people back home see him. And Silver sort of ominously mentions that, you know, sometimes plans go astray before going about adjusting his cyborg bits. Jim takes a moment to ask, like, what happened that you became part cyborg? Uh, and Silver's like, oh, you know, you give up a few things when you're chasing a dream. All very vague answers to his actual life story. Um, mm-hmm. The duo settles in to relax when a Ooh. massive wave... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got something. Sorry, I should have. No, please. I should be more prompt. Um, I love again. Could just be the blue curtains, but I love <laughs> that. Um, I'm gonna slightly spoil basically Silver's reveal. I mean, we know mm-hmm. from hints that there's something up with him, right? And how much he's going to lean into his villainy and stuff. But um, basically, Silver is looking for the treasure on Treasure Planet, and he's been Mm -hmm. doing so all his life. And I like that this very, not the most subtle metaphor of how he has lost himself and made sacrifices and, you know, the kind of losing his humanity in the search for this treasure, being willing to cut ties with people and stuff like that, uh, just visually represented by his robot Mm -hmm. parts. You know, he has lost his organic pieces, his humanity, as it were for the pursuit of this treasure and we'll see even more of that of like how much he's willing to sacrifice more of his humanity i.e relationships with the people close to him for the sake of this treasure yeah it's a it's a great visual metaphor and then it also plays into the you know pirate peg leg visual yeah yeah it is so it it works on it works on like a light level and on a deeper level and that's if you can nail Mm -hmm. both of those you're golden um Mm -hmm. As the duo sort of settles in to relax, a huge wave rocks the ship. A nearby star has gone supernova. Oh no! It's time for some paramaritime action. It's uh, we don't we can't have a storm in the sea, so we're gonna have a star going supernova. Yeah, I'm okay with, with that. It's with a lot cool. of with a lot of liberties to how it works <laughs> mm-hmm. as well. But uh, I mean, it's a it's a cool scene, so we yeah. can we can let all the science of it slide. This is the Ethereum. This is in space. Yes. Uh, The whole ship springs into action, fastening their lifelines, which are ropes tied to the center of the ship, and preparing to ride out the waves of this uh, supernova. They secure the sails, which are being rapidly punctured by various debris, uh, and Jim has an opportunity to save Silver, who slips, uh, as they both are climbing about the rigging and pulls him back onto the ship. But a massive piece of debris nearly hits both of them, as they start to get pulled in the opposite direction and the whole ship is entering near the star as it becomes a black hole, which is where the physics of it all kind of starts to <laughs> break mm-hmm. down. Um, that was incredibly fast. <laughs> that would take <laughs> oh. several thousand years to happen. <laughs> Maybe even yes. longer. This is Ethereum physics, not space physics, so we let it slide. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll let it slide. As it's being pulled in, uh, the ship is, you know, how, how are they possibly going to escape this one? How could they get out of this, this crazy storm? Uh, Doppler's precise knowledge of the timing of the waves actually comes in handy here. As they can use those waves of, like, force coming out of the black hole to, to ride out when the, the greatest wave of all comes through. Uh, 
Captain Amelia, following Doppler's instructions, uh, tells Arrow to unfurl the sails immediately uh, and tells Jim to make sure all the lifelines are secure, which he does. We see him run to them. We see him check them all. They're all tied off. As they unfurl the sails, Arrow is knocked overboard by a wave, uh, but his lifeline holds taut. And as he begins to climb back aboard, Mr. Scroop appears ominously from behind a sail, which is not the first or only time he will do that in this movie. Uh, (laughs) And uses his crab pincher, crab spider pincher thing to cut the uh, lifeline of Arrow and send him spiraling into the black hole. The ship rides out the last great wave of the black hole, uh, all but Arrow narrowly making it to safety. Doppler compliments the captain, and she thanks him for the astronomy advice in turn. Their relationship is, you know, moving into a positive direction. Uh, She goes to compliment Silver for his cabin boy's work on the lifelines, but when she calls out to Mr. Arrow uh, to see that all are accounted for, there's no response. Scroop approaches and gives the captain Arrow's hat, saying that his lifeline was not secured and placing the blame on Jim's inability to, you know check correctly uh jim's like that can't be i checked them all but when he runs over to the lines one is in fact missing the captain you know kind of gives him this sorrowful look of not quite accusing but you know you you were so close to doing it right uh, very disappointed in him yes you could (laughs) feel the disappointment in that no words but like perfect expression yeah Mm -hmm. um she says some kind words about Mr. Arrow and tells the crew to resume their posts, Jim kind of rushing off distraught from this whole experience. That evening, Silver finds Jim sitting, looking despondent, and tries to assure him that it's not his fault. But Jim's like, no, I screwed up. I can't do anything right. Teenage angst. Which uh, is such a such a tragic look at, at the mindset that he is in. Mm-hmm. It's, even though he was there, he checked them, he tugged them all they were all good he knows that he did but in his mind he has such self-doubt he's even doubting his own like experience Mm -hmm. basically gaslighting himself because he is taught that he is a screw-up and that he probably just screwed up despite every you know like physical interaction telling you know would say otherwise but he is so full of self-doubt and self-hatred and belief that he is just that awful. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad to see. It's like so tragic to think yeah. how lowly he thinks of himself <laughs> that he, despite his experience, he probably just messed up because that's who he is. He is a screw up. Yeah. And sort of out of that, like really low point, we'll see the, one of the most heartfelt uh, moments in the movie where uh, Silver mm. goes to comfort Jim. He's like, you know, you've got the making of greatness in you, but you, you've got to take control of your life. You got to take the helm of your own destiny or whatever space spaceship metaphors making a great line i love the (laughs) the ship metaphor it's like basically saying that jim is gonna shine like a star Mm -hmm. and that he can't wait for the day that he can bask in his radiance and it's such a powerful speech scene yeah uh, they share a, a comforting, heartfelt hug, and sends Silver sends the uh, teary Jim to bed uh, as he sort of remarks to Morph on his shoulder that they're in too deep. The crew's going to be saying he'll gone soft. Uh, and we pan up to, <laughs> to once again Mr. Scroop ominously lurking behind a sail as we see part of his silhouette and then the rest of him. They just love doing Scroop and silhouette behind the sail in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, Scroop uh, is like classic <laughs> Disney villain. Just like, yeah. I'm evil and awful and I'm going to be spooky and scary. <laughs> yep. 
the next day, Jim wakes up to the sound of flatulence. It's our old friend, the uh, you know squid farting guy, uh, and he <laughs> kind of wakes up early in the morning and chases his boot, aka Morph, transformed into his boot around eventually up to the top deck and below into the kitchens where he jumps into a barrel of space potatoes uh and finds you know finally catches morph uh hiding almost inadvertently from inside of the potato barrel he hears people coming downstairs and fully hides looking out through a gap to see a meeting of the crew who are all getting antsy and we see a cyborg hand tell them to wait until they have the treasure in hand this is our big Silver is definitely evil reveal. Um, mm-hmm. Scroop wants to kill everyone now, mutiny now, and Silver's like, don't you dare disobey me again like you did with Mr. Arrow. But Scroop is starting to accuse him of having a soft spot for Jim, um, which prompts Silver to do the biggest betrayal to Jim of all, uh, saying, no, you know, I care about one thing, Flint's trove, and I just cozied up to the kid to keep him off our scent, kind of undermining the very comforting and needed words that he said last night. Mm. Yeah, basically, once again, seeing him, like, sacrifice more of his humanity mm-hmm. and basically being like, no, 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 I didn't actually care for, for that kid. And it's uh, it's him trying to make a, make this tough decision between his two lives, you know, like his more <laughs> humanity life of, like, caring about Jim and taking mm-hmm. care of him and making sure he's all right or the dream that he's followed all these years that he's sacrificed so much for. Exactly. Uh, and with this revelation, we've arrived. There's a planet nearby. It, it, it's Treasure Planet. Uh, Silver wanders off along with the crew to go view the planet. And as he's above deck looking for his spyglass, uh, Jim, who is below decks next to where his spyglass is, starts to emerge and make his way out of the kitchen. Silver appears at the entrance to the stairs below decks and cuts off Jim, asking if they're playing games as the tone suddenly goes much more sinister. Jim now on edge and Silver putting together that Jim was below decks and may have heard some things he shouldn't have uh, is a little bit suspicious. Um, They both ready their own various weaponry, but Jim gets the first hit in, poking a hole in Silver's cyborg leg. It's one of those... um, there's a word for it. It's like when you have like, the fireplace pumps. Oh, yeah. Or, that yeah, that yeah. kind of like accordion shape. Yes, yeah. exactly. There's a specific yeah. word for it that I cannot remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, know either. <laughs> he punctures a hole in that, uh, kind of like crippling silver a little bit and making his escape up to the top deck and into um, the captain's ready room. Not, oh, God, Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> stateroom. Silver whistles for his crew. Uh, change of plans. Mutiny is on now. They set about gathering weapons and flying the pirate colors as the Captain, Jim, Doppler, and Morph all prepare to make their escape uh, and defend themselves from the now taking over mutinying pirates. They grab the map sphere as the pirates work on breaking down the door, and as the pirates bust in, our gang has fled into the guts of the ship, making for the longboats. They've kind of blasted a hole in the floor of the stateroom. As they make their emergency exit, Morph manages to grab the map orb, and Jim jumps off board of the longboat to try and catch him. Uh, Morph finds himself trapped with the the map between Silver and Jim, both trying to lure him like a like you would a dog you're trying to catch yeah. the affection of towards each other. But eventually he just ducks down into a bunch of rope, hiding. Jim rushes forward and grabs the sphere, making his escape onto the longboat long boat just as it drops. Uh, Silver having the opportunity to shoot him and stop him, but he just can't bring himself to pull the trigger. He still, despite it all, does care for the boy. 
Now plummeting through the sky, the longboat takes a shot from the pirate cannons, uh, the captain getting injured in the process, and they make a crash landing among these wild, tall mushrooms in the forests of Treasure Planet. As they've now crashed into the planet, the captain asks that if Jim still has the map, but when Jim pulls it out, Morph detransforms. He was faked out. Uh, Morph Which, has traded places oh, with geez. the map. <laughs> Which I gotta say, it is such an annoying thing when when a character makes things harder for the other characters. I mm-hmm. mean, it can be done well, you know? That could be a yeah. plot point and, like, character development stuff. But, ooh, boy. On the bright side, like, this one is not nearly as bad as one that is coming up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jim, uh, like, like Morph is sort of, like, in mascot territory where, like, he should mm-hmm. know better, but also he's kind of almost like an animal. So you're like, oh, did you just, is the, you just mess around constantly? Is this you still mm-hmm. messing around? So it's hard to be mad at him, but there's some later on where it's like, yeah, you knew it's better. Always, <laughs> yeah, it's always frustrating in a movie whenever, like, it's just, oh, you are <sighs> making this story a lot harder than it needs to be. <laughs> exactly. Um, Jim yells at Morph for leaving the map on the ship, and the gang goes to hide as the pirates are still hovering above trying to find them. The captain, who is a little too injured to do any moving herself, is being cared for by Doppler, but she still manages to send Jim to scout ahead and find a more defensible position. Jim, as he goes to the forest, is uh, being watched, little does he know. He is alerted by Morph to his observer, uh, and as Jim goes to investigate, he is startled by a robot who's very excited to see Jim. Uh, the robot, who is voiced by Martin Short, who you might know as Jack Frost and the Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. The robot explains he's been marooned solo for hundreds of years and introduces himself as Ben, bioelectronic navigator. Uh, he's very upbeat and situationally unaware and seems very frazzled. I mean- I gotta say, this is probably my least favorite part of the movie because I didn't mind Ben when I was younger, and Mm -hmm. even now I still don't think he's the worst case of this, but just this is just another case of what I like to call not Robin Williams, (laughs) uh, where Disney realized their success of casting an A-list actor to do a funny, crazy mascot role, comic Mm -hmm. relief-style character, and they, they thought, that did well. Let's do it again. It happened with the gargoyles in Hunchback of Notre Dame. It happened mm-hmm. with Danny DeVito in Hercules. It happened with um, Turk and uh, the elephant Oof. in Tarzan. And now we see it again with Ben. It's like, hey, remember what we did with Robin Williams? Well, we're going to do it again, but worse. And it's yeah. just, ooh, it's like you can tell that they're really trying to make this character fun and exciting and you know modern and it's like uh, it's, his dial's just considering... turned like 10 percent up too far yeah especially he's very loud he's yeah. oh. he's introduced he, especially since like ben in this movie is very much just a plot device mm-hmm. and i feel his inclusion and the things he does in the movie make the movie less exciting uh and yeah. i feel takes away what could have potentially been character building or world building uh for example well first of all him uh <laughs> we're, we're, i was mentioning earlier with more f- uh characters making things harder for the other characters we uh i'm gonna spoil later on he <laughs> gives them a nice shelter to hide from the pirates 
and then he alerts the pirates to to their location and i'm like oh, oh. this is frustrating then he um later on when they go back to the ship to try and get the map he's plugging and unplugging things on the ship and makes things harder for jim and it's just so frustrating to watch uh and oh man he really is just a plot device uh because yeah. how they find uh, their way back on the ship isn't through exploring the planet, which would have been nice and fun and another chance for Jim to show his intuition and wit and cleverness to be able to find another way and solve the problem. Instead, we get this, basically, he solves the problem for them by saying, by the way, here's a secret passage that I just know. And it, you know, propels the plot. Again, he's a plot yeah. device. I feel as though Ben <laughs> could have been an object, you know, to, to serve the purpose of understanding what Captain Flint did and, and you know, that he booby-trapped his planet, spoilers, and mm -hmm. um, all this stuff. He didn't necessarily need to be this obnoxious character, and it's just frustrating, and I think it makes the movie worse that he is. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm of... frustrated with Ben. <laughs> Entirely fair, because he is really just sort of like, Jim's intelligent trait combined with the knowledge that the map might have and it sort yeah. of just feels like you're taking away from Jim showing off that he is quite smart um, yeah and I think that's the biggest detriment to him for me because you know if you need someone to spout a clue okay fine but uh, I don't think there's enough done in this movie to show Jim's intelligence and a lot of the opportunities to do so are taken away in this last 30 minutes by the existence yeah. of Ben um uh, Jim tries to excuse himself from this plot device, so to speak, but uh, as Ben continues to ramble and mentions Captain Flynn, Jim's interest is piqued in him once again. He's like, Ben, do you do you know about the, the, the treasure? And uh, though it's fuzzy, Ben does remember some things. There's a big door opening and closing in the centroid of the mechanism and more plot device clues. Um, but since Ben is missing his primary memory circuit, literally, there's a hole in his head, um, he can't fill in the gaps in his uh, kind of frantic statements. Jim is like, you know what? This has been nice and all, but I really need a place to hide. And he tries to leave Ben, but Ben does big sad eyes and Jim eventually relents. Uh, but since Ben needs to pee, they go back to his place, which turns out to be a convenient, perfect hiding spot for the whole crew yeah. to make their way to. Uh, like ben just solves their problem for them. Yep. The gang gathers at Ben's, this kind of like ramshackle inside cavern where he, you know, has the, the ship and captain and Doppler and everyone load inside. Uh, Doppler remarks on the markings on the inside of the cavern, remnants of an ancient civilization, no doubt, which is, I'm like, hey, wrong movie. We're not watching Atlantis right now. Like, this is not going to pay <laughs> dividends. We got to keep moving. As they sort of decompress, Ben does, as you mentioned, call out to more of their buddies nearby, which is, of course, the pirates, and uh, gives away their new secret location, immediately blowing the benefit he had given to our uh, heroes. The pirates immediately start shooting at them until Silver calls for them to stop firing, uh, trying to wave a white flag and ask the captain to come talk as he uh, in intends to bargain for the map. Um, Jim realizes that this means he thinks that they still have it. Uh, although I, I, I like that they have this moment where Jim and Silver get to kind of talk before their more yeah. emotional turn later. I do kind of wish they did more with the idea of Jim being like, oh, you think we have the map? Because here it sort of just uses an excuse for Jim to not be shot on sight. Um, mm -hmm. And I really thought this was leading into some sort of really interesting uh, scheme or like web of deception. And it doesn't really pay dividends that been in that cool, way. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a good opportunity to show Jim as clever and smart, uh, but it's sort of just used to 
propel us into a conversation. Um, Jim walks out to meet with Silver and Morph uh, also following suit as he always tags along with his buddy Jim. Silver tries to make up for what he said about Jim by explaining it all away, saying he had to say what he had to for a safe face with his crew, and he offers Jim an even portion of the treasure if he helps him get the map. Uh, but Jim, not one to take this at face value anymore, shrugs him off, saying he's going to make sure that Silver never finds any of the treasure. Uh, he's his enemy now. Silver gets pissed at this, becoming genuinely angry at Jim for maybe the first time. Uh, really visibly on screen. We know he was mad during the, the chase sequence, but this is the first time he's like directing it at Jim so much. Um, and he's like, you still haven't learned how to pick your fights, boy. He threatens that if he doesn't get the map back by dawn tomorrow, he'll use the cannons to blast everyone in the cavern to kingdom come, uh, which scares even Morph, who decides to stay with Jim instead. In the mm -hmm. cave that night, the captain is going a little loopy from her injuries. Oh, I want to say... <laughs> I yeah, want to say, uh, before we move on, another case of Silver severing another part of his humanity, another relationship for the sake mm -hmm. of the treasure. Morph, who, yeah. by all rights, he, he probably has been with Silver for a long time. He's willing to sacrifice that and, you know, willing to cut ties with him for the sake of the treasure. Once again, yeah. losing another bit of his humanity and, like, sacrificing things. You, you know, you, you, lose, uh, you lose things chasing a dream, as he would, as he would say. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those things are your pirate liquid goo space buddy, who I love. <laughs> uh, in the cave that night, the captain is going a little loopy, and Jim is like, "Doppler, you gotta, you gotta take care of the, take care of her." And we get our great Star Trek call out. Dang it, Jim! I'm an astronomer, not a doctor. I mean, I am a doctor, but I'm not that kind of doctor. Which I, I'm a big Trek fan, so I love that. Oh, which, which I also gotta say. That's another reason why I don't like Ben is because we already have like basically two comic reliefs already. We've got Dr. Doppler yeah. and we've got Morph, you know, who's like mm -hmm. kind of a mascot comic relief. Like, so we didn't need a third one, I feel like it just kind of feels unnecessary. Doppler is already yeah. a very, very like clever comic relief, too. He's got very clever dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, early on when uh jim's mom is like you just want to go don't you and i feel like the joke that he makes there is a joke that could be written today because ob the obvious joke would have been like oh no to for him to feign like that he does he's like oh no i totally don't want to go i just want to help jim but he just goes yeah i really want to go and like <laughs> it's it's just nice witty yeah. dialogue uh again we we hear him talk about like i have a doctorate it's it doesn't make me a doctor it's just a sheet of paper <laughs> that sits there and you're useless and i'm like that's some clever dialogue or or when yeah. they're on the longboat and uh again a slight subversion of a joke where uh he fires off the chain to unhook the longboat essentially and mm -hmm. uh captain amelia is like were you actually aiming for that and the obvious joke would have been like no i wasn't but he goes Actually, you know what? I was. And he's just as surprised as her. It's like, you've yeah. got a witty comic relief here. We don't, we don't need another one that's yelling and shouting. And he's funny mm -hmm. because he's crazy, you know? Yeah, he really kind of suffers from, like, both late introduction when we've already seen other characters doing what he's doing better, coupled mm -hmm. with kind of just serving as, like, a deus ex machina to get Jim out of situations that Jim probably could that's have That's how solved. it feels, doesn't it? Yeah. It, that's how it feels. It's like just kind of letting the characters succeed. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a weak it's a weakness of the like the last third of this movie uh, unfortunately. Very much so. Um, mm -hmm. 
Jim's like, I don't know what I'm going to do when Ben asks him if he has any plans. Because he's like, you know, no matter what we do, we're dead. Uh, and on that cheery note, Ben decides to try and slip out the back door of his house. Wait, back door? Following Ben, Jim sees a labyrinth of machinery through a hatch in the back of his house. Uh, it leads to the inside of the planet, this like labyrinth of walkways and what have you. Um, and Jim's like, of course, that's how we get out of here. Uh, and though Doppler tries to get him to stay put... He jumps right into the hatch with Ben and Morph in tow. As the pirates snore, Jim emerges from a nearby hatch at their campsite. Uh, the trio is going to try and sneak back onto the ship, steal the map, and disable the cannons. On board, Jim goes to get the map, while Ben goes to disable the cannons against Jim's wishes. He's like, no, don't split up, and Ben goes hurtling off down the halls. Um, Jim finds the map still laying in the pile of rope. Uh, but Ben, in his attempts to disable the cannon, sets off first an alarm, alerting Mr. Scroop of their presence, uh, and setting the evil crab Spider-Man on the Jim's trail. I have no idea what Scroop's specific thing is supposed to be, but it's spooky. I think you got it right. He's, he's got, like, crab claws and spider legs. Yeah, yeah that's close enough. <laughs> I think they call him an arachnid once or twice, and I'm like, is that mostly accurate or part? Okay. Hmm. Jim goes to confront the arachnid as the power goes, but the power goes out thanks to Ben, and now Scroop has the jump on him. Their kind of conflict continues up to the deck of the ship as Ben turns off the artificial gravity, sending yeah, Jim and, and then Scroop up into the air. And the movie turns into, into a slasher air. movie for a little bit. <laughs> yep. Uh, Jim grabs onto the flag, and it looks like Scroop is going to cut him loose just like he did uh, Mr. Arrow. Um, but a little switcheroo by Jim sends Scroop up into the flag and Jim releases the rope and Scroop is the one who goes floating up into uh, definitely not space to just sort of float <laughs> until he dies. It's very, very brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of the, uh, a not graphic, graphic death yes. of Disney where you see a character float off into the abyss. They love like sending people floating or falling into things. Like they, it's mm -hmm. very key. I mean, and when you think about it, it's horrifying, but in the moment you're like, okay, goodbye. Oh, yeah. you, you've left the yep. plot. <laughs> Uh, ben reactivates the gravity, the cannons are disconnected, and the trio returns to Ben's cave. Um, Jim goes to give the map to the dock, but a mechanical hand reaches out for it instead. It's silver. The pirates have overtaken the cave while they were gone. The dock and captain are captured. It's not good. Uh, Silver monologues a little bit, but as he tries to open the map he's now taken from Jim, it's, he just can't figure it out. It seems like only Jim can open the map. This is kind of like I mentioned earlier, not really explained why only Jim can do it, but okay. He's like, all right, Jim, well, you better open it for us. You better get busy or else I'll start shooting uh, Doppler and the captain. So Jim relents and works with the pirates opening up the map. It becomes a very easily followable line all through the planet. And Silver tells the crew to tie up Jim, but Jim closes the map before they can do so, demanding that if he wants to follow it and have him work for them, they gotta take Jim along with them too. Uh, so they decide to take the entire party with them, and now all of our heroes and the pirates are off following the map across Treasure Planet. They get closer and closer to the X marks the spot, I assume. It's pirate stuff. Uh, cutting yeah. through what I thought were wires, but I think might actually have been trees. Uh, <laughs> eventually reaching a clearing where there is nothing the map cuts off uh and closes itself suddenly jim can't get it to open anymore all the pirates start to kind of circle up very pissed that they've been led on a wild goose chase so it seems but as jim is knocked to the ground he notices a little socket in the ground that's perfectly map shaped 
inserting the map orb, the whole clearing begins to glow, and a door to the Lagoon Nebula opens in front of them, sort of like a giant triangle-shaped portal, uh, along with a sphere in front of them that shows like a mini version of the map from the uh, first time they opened it, where it's just all the planets holographic around them. As Jim pokes at a few different locations on the hollow map, new locations appear in the door through the portal. It's the big door that Ben mentioned in his cryptic ramblings earlier. Jim thinks yeah. on it, <laughs> tries the Montressor spaceport where his home is, and realizes that, like, oh, this is how the great pirate Flynn amassed his fortune. He used this portal to steal treasure all over the galaxies, wherever he pleased. It's crazy Which space I travel. Love, <laughs> I love that, that like, reveal of, like, yeah. because they set it up all the way at the beginning of, like, he vanished without a trace. How did mm -hmm. he do it? Through portals. And I love that. It's like, <laughs> wow, just a crazy reveal. It's like, of course. Wow. <laughs> It makes it all. It makes the whole past thing make sense, and it, it makes the reveal of the map make more sense too. It's like, okay, that's why the map even was out there existing. Because why would Flynn want? To, if Flynn didn't want anyone to find his treasure, why would he make a map? It's how he found his way back to the portals and things. It all, yeah. it all connects, and it's it's beautiful. Silver though is still frustrated despite these revelations, since the treasure, notably, is still MIA. Uh, and Jim realizes that since the treasure is buried in the centroid of the mechanism, well, they just got to figure out what the mechanism is and what could it be then the planet. The planet's a big mechanism, right? So he clicks on the planet in the portal and it opens the door to the center of the planet, which is full of a sea of gold. Walking through, Silver sets off a little laser alarm, although none of the crew or Jim seem to notice. Uh, and the pirates gaze over this massive store of gold and jewels and treasure at the center of the planet, a veritable golden ball of stuff. As they look, Ben is like, this all seems so ominously familiar. Uh, and Jim spots a, a decrepit boat amongst all the treasure. He's like, okay, come on, Ben and Morph, let's go over to this thing that's pretty interesting. I bet we can get out of here and get our comeuppance too. Silver, in kind of like his moment of I finally found what I'm looking for, kneels in the treasure, it's his life work, and he's finally accomplished yeah. it. It's a very culminating moment. Like you can tell. Yeah. The, uh, credit to the to the voice actor for really selling that mm -hmm. this guy has been through so much, and he's finally seeing this thing that's been in his dreams all his life. Oh yeah, uh, Brian Murray voiced Silver, and he does a great job of it. Um, mm. Boarding the decrepit ship, Ben and Jim find the now long dead Captain Flynn sitting amongst his treasure in the captain's chair. Ben continues to ramble on in the background. Jim examines the skeletal captain, uh, finding in his hand something suspiciously similarly shaped to the gap in the back of Ben's head. Uh, it's his mind that he lost. Uh, prying it loose from the captain's grip, he sticks it back into Ben's head and he reconnects all of his memories flooding back, including that Flynn pulled out his memories so he could never tell anyone about his booby trap. Wait, booby trap? Uh, on that cue, an explosion attracts everyone's attention as Ben explains that the whole planet will explode now that they've found the treasure. That tripwire from earlier is a self-destruct sequence. Flynn didn't want anyone to have his treasure, even if it meant destroying said treasure. Jim sets about yep. fixing Flynn's ship we, to help make their escape. We, we see... <laughs> We see another reason why is like this is the purpose that Ben serves is exposition, mm -hmm. which I feel as though if that was the only real purpose. So there, there's a rule, not a rule, but kind of a kind of a philosophy in writing mm -hmm. where all good 
um, dialogue uh, or just like writing and words, basically not just spoken dialogue, but words on a page or, or words that are spoken. I think it might just be character dialogue, but all good dialogue should do w at least one of three mm -hmm. things. That is either further develop a character, further develop the world, or uh, further progress the plot. And that is why I continue to be annoyed at Ben's existence, because um, most of his dialogue does none of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> like, there, there's one, one part, one infamous line that I'll always remember, where it's like, was I ever dancing with a, with a robot named Lupe? And I'm like, did that add anything to the film? Did that, <laughs> did that propel Jim's character at all? Did he develop yeah. at all from that? Did that tell us about Treasure Planet? It's like, no. No, it didn't. That didn't need to be there. And it wasn't even a funny line. Now, I, of course, I, I also follow the philosophy in when it comes to comedy and humor, all bets are off as long as the joke is funny, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, comedy is going to be subjective. But I feel like Ben's culminating purpose just solidified how I feel about him, and that is I don't like his character's inclusion, and that he could very well have been an object or, like, a note or a message from Captain Flynn himself kind of left somewhere of like ha ha yeah, my place was booby trapped I hope you enjoy and then you know the thing goes off because yeah. really this is his sole purpose is to let them know what the purpose of Treasure Planet was and mm -hmm. yeah like nothing else about his character I feel is all that important that couldn't have been solved either by a character being clever like you know mm -hmm. Jim figuring out that the planet is a mechanism and learning himself through his wits yeah. and clever or dr doppler or even captain amelia figuring this out is just taken away by yeah. ben just again yeah and they kind of like they, talking they in circles now. <laughs> well it's it's an important point too because they kind of like toe the line of letting jim figure a lot of this stuff out because he's the one who figures out oh the mechanism that ben alluded to is the planet so if he had gotten mm -hmm. that clue anywhere else or even if he just noticed okay put put orb into ground spot everything's made of metal maybe yeah. it's a mechanism everything's I, made of metal he could knock on metal. the metal he could have <laughs> in in the when dr doppler i just thought of another one when dr oh. doppler notices in the like cave it's like oh all these runes maybe they could have mm -hmm. written it like i don't know uh jim notices the runes are very similar to the map and he notices he pressed some things and then they're like some holes and he maybe lines them up and then realizes oh this is different this doesn't line up with the map what is this and then boom he figures out that there's an underground tunnel yeah. That'd be very clever of him to have yeah. figured that out instead of just being told, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like serving... A, his, ben is serving a very redundant purpose to what we mm -hmm. see happening on screen a lot of times. It just sort of feels like he's speeding us through an extra moment of discovery. Very um, much so. And he will be sent away by Jim in this moment as the stakes get monumentally higher. Uh, he's like, go back to the captain and Doppler. Uh, and he sets about fixing Flynn's ship, uh, hot-wiring it. There's a shot I love where... <laughs> Ben is freaking out, trying to be like, I won't leave you, when he pulls uh, Jim's feet out from underneath the, not the dashboard, because this isn't a car, but essentially the dashboard <laughs> of the ship, and yeah, he's got two he's wires in his hands, he's hot wiring it, and he's got the most, like, annoyed teenager expression on his face, and it's beautiful. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you really rem remember that he's an angsty teen in that moment. Um, uh, a big laser is cutting through Treasure Planet's core, sending waves of gold falling into nothingness. All the pirates start to panic and flee, uh, and Silver, as he's doing so, notices Jim starting up the ship in the background. Um, 
Meanwhile, back on the longboat, the captain and Doppler have sort of like a meaningful heart-to-heart about how Doppler feels like he hasn't been very helpful. But as he's bemoaning this, he puts his hand on his face and realizes that his abnormally thin wrists have let him slip out of the ropes that were binding him. Uh, And he quickly puts his hands back behind his back and calls for the pirate guarding them's attention. He insults him, gets him to come over really close, and as the pirate gets up so that he can pummel him, uh, Doppler pulls out a revolver, points it at his stomach, and says that they're in charge now, which was a really cool moment for him to be, like, clever and fun and smart and be like, I'm helpful! (laughs) Yeah, it's such a nice, subtle background character arc. You know, the fact that Doppler goes from this bumbling, kind of incompetent fool who's in over his head to this guy who gains some confidence Mm -hmm. and, uh, like, know-how. Like, he slowly goes from, you know, everyone, including Captain Emilio, is like, you don't know what you're talking about. Step aside. But then we see in the solar flare, he knows what he's talking about. He's able to help through his knowledge about uh, astronomy and stuff. And then he aims and shoots the the chain holding the uh, longboat on purpose. He's he's (laughs) starting to get more competent. And then now we see the culmination of that where he intimidates a guy and confidently pulls out a pistol and threatens him at gunpoint it's like wow this guy has grown he has become like cooler uh, (laughs) you know as a result of this adventure and i really like that growth for that character it's it's just kind of off in the background and i Mm -hmm. i love that i love that they pulled it off and it's not obtrusive to the plot in any way like it it feels like it's told very naturally parallel to the like main story that's unfurling and i love that Mm -hmm. for him also he's just a very charming character such he's very fun witty dialogue you like to see the way he interacts with the other characters so it never feels like it's kind of the opposite of the benefactor. where like whenever he's on screen i'm not like oh man this guy it's like oh yeah this guy um (laughs) yeah Back inside of the planet, Jim has gotten his ship moving, but Silver has also made it on board. Uh, Jim puts a sword between him and Silver as this dramatic confrontation comes to a head. Uh, But this time, Silver's like, I won't let you take away from me, you know, my life's work, essentially. I'm not going to play nice this time. As he approaches Jim, a conveniently timed laser hits the side of the ship and sends Jim flying overboard. Uh, Silver is able to grab the edge of the ship and pull it away from the laser uh but now jim in the opposite direction is hanging for dear life off the side of a wall morph alerts silver to jim's peril uh, and he tries to reach both for the ship and for jim uh and as he just can't quite bridge that gap he eventually has to make the choice to let the ship go in order to save jim (laughs) i love this there's there's another writing philosophy that like uh the more extreme a situation and more difficult the choice, the more character-defining it is. Mm -hmm. So Silver basically has to choose between his lifelong dream or his basically, like, son figure. And even we even see visual uh, metaphor of this as well, where what is holding on to the ship? His robot arm. What is reaching Mm -hmm. for Jim? His organic human arm or alien arm i guess it's like you know another reinforcement of that like the the non live organic part that he he has given up for the sake of his dream holding on to Mm -hmm. his dream right now and trying to have both but he can't nope but he he chooses humanity he chooses jim uh and as they both kind of crawl up the side of the wall they watch as the ship explodes raining down treasure all around them uh, they jump through the portal to where Ben has a longship, along with all of the tied-up pirates, Captain and Doppler, uh, ready to go to make their escape. They only have a few minutes to clear the blast zone. As they make their way to the main galleon, uh, debris takes out the sail and one of the main engines. They won't be, have time to fly away at their current speed. 
But Jim, ever the clever one, has a plan uh, as he starts to gather one of the broken up engines and some planks and put together a... Sorry, I heard my cat getting up to stuff. Oh, hello, Zeke. <laughs> um, <laughs> put together a sort of lo- another longboard hoverboard uh, as he explains... I'm going to glide down to the map to change the opening of the portal to somewhere safe so that we can fly out through there. Rather than trying to outrun the explosion here, we're going to use the portal to get to safety. Doppler's a little bit nervous, but the captain and Silver come to Jim's uh, aid and are like, yes, brilliant, let's do this. Silver helping Jim build his hoverboard as the gang sets off. Uh, Jim does a lot of fancy flying, similar to his opening sequence. Yeah, Uh, I love that. Callback. (laughs) Callback! I love uh, it's great. Uh, and I love a good like space skateboarding moment. It's always fun. You yeah. Know? <laughs> do some do some ollies and all that. Uh, I don't know space skateboarding words. Uh, <laughs> he does a as, pirouette. Yes, that that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a skateboard move, right? Yeah, like a seven twenty or something. Um, he, he he keeps having to restart his engine once it gives out, and it looks like he's going to sink into a ravine uh, over the edge of the planet. But as uh, Silver ed- edges him on, he's like, Jim uses the walls of the planet to re-spark the engine and makes it that last final burst over to the map, over to the portal controls, just in time to change it to the Montrezor spaceport. The gang, explosion in tow with seconds to spare, bursts through the portal, surviving. Uh, everyone cheers. Doppler and the captain have a little hug. Jim and Morph partied up on the hoverboard. Uh, and it's like, oh, good, we've made it. We've survived. Everyone breathe now. In the kind of that background conversation, the captain offers to recommend Jim to the Interstellar Academy. And Doppler's like, oh, man, your mom is going to love this. We just won't tell her about all the life-threatening parts. Uh, and even Ben gives Jim a big hug and gets one back. As they all cheer, though, uh, Jim notices that Silver has disappeared. And he goes down to the longboats to find him rigging one of them to make his exit. Silver's like, you know, don't let me and Morph stay. We're not meant to be in prison. And Jim, uh, having completed his character art and confident in his future, is like, I'm going to let you guys leave this time, but I'm going to let you leave on my terms. Like, we say goodbye. Silver does invite Jim to go with him, but Jim's like, no, you know, I have ties to people at home now, and I'm going to chart my own course. Uh, yeah, he's going to choose his future. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Uh, they have a very heartfelt hug, and Silver leaves him with words of encouragement that I really liked. Uh, You're going to rattle the stars, which is just badass. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Silver instructs Morph to stick with Jim and keep an eye on him, which is very cute. Jim's got that little pet that his mom always expected him to come home with after all. Jim also receives a handful of treasure from Silver to help rebuild his mother's inn, although he throws the treasure up, which I thought was a very fun... <laughs> he throws it like up into the dock that he's launching from in the ship which means he either has incredible uh strength in his arm or gravity works funky on the ship either way it was oh, neat. Yeah. <laughs> the ship docks jim's mother wandering looks for her son and he appears and gives her a hug big happy reunion we're we're pretty much in the solidly like here's where they are five years later part of this movie yeah. mom meets morph little time skip the inn is reopened better than ever uh ben is helping to wait tables now Doppler and the captain have a bunch of kids. Jim is home wearing a fancy new uniform and he's escorted by the cops, but not arrested by them. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) The gang parties like it's uh, colonial times. The, you know, violin music from before kicking up. Yeah, the step dances. Yeah, and uh, Jim, now son's iconic ponytail, his rebellious face symbolically being over with the cutting of his hair, looks up into the stars and roll credits. 
Um, yeah. R.I.P. Ponytail, you will be missed. <laughs> Gosh. It just makes me even more sad at what could have been because, like, that sets up uh, the fact that in the sequel, uh, the cancelled sequel, he was supposed mm-hmm. to, we were supposed to follow up on that and see his time in the Academy, in the Spacer Academy, because oh. that was, like, his Academy uniform. And right. I guess he got accepted. Yeah, he got that uh, recommendation from the captain and got in. Um, that would have been wonderful. It's very... uh. There's like a book series, Master and Commander, and other similar like naval books that kind of follow characters with similar arcs, and I would have loved to see that mm-hmm. for Jim in this world they've created, and just to see more Very of the so. uh, sailing space travel. It's just so cool. <laughs> and just more things that would have reinforced things in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like um, uh, there was supposed to be, uh, the new villain of the second movie was supposed to be basically a foil to Silver Ooh. in the fact that he would have been a full robot like basically had all of his parts replaced not not just starting out as a robot as there are some robots in this universe that we see but like someone who is more machine than man Mm -hmm. um to sort of show what silver could have been and could have become right and silver would have you know returned and kind of show those foils and and parallels and stuff like that and that would have been a nice reinforcement of silver's character and how he turned out not so bad considering Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's a fascinating world they've constructed, and there's a lot of, they're telling very human stories within it, and opportunities to reinforce those stories would always be uh, welcome, so it is a shame that this movie underperformed critically and financially, because it's it's one mm-hmm. of those situations where I'm, I really wish this could have gotten a sequel, um, and I would have hoped that that sequel did not do the Atlantis 2 route of being just Oh, yeah, <laughs> just, the just worst. A, bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of shorts piled together yeah. into one big movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's... Did you hear why that is the case? Uh, no. Do you do you have the background? Do you have the do you have the four one one on that? <laughs> yeah, I have I have a little bit of trivia for why that is because there Love was it. supposed to be an Atlantis TV show, oh. and these were the first few pilot episodes, and I guess whatever something happened with this that caused them to basically nix it, mm-hmm. and so they were like, well, we animated these like three episodes. What are we gonna do with them? Uh, and they were like, uh. Uh, pile them together into a, a straight-to-DVD movie. And they were like, all right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> it always That always seems to go that way. Um, it's interesting how much a production... It, a production's original conception and pre-production can affect its uh, release. Like, when you get interrupted mid-making a TV series and suddenly have to turn it into a movie, it can be significantly yeah. weaker. Because there's different writing styles that go into writing a TV episode versus a movie, and it shows when you try to slam three TV episodes together and just release them as such. Um, there's a reason that the rule in this podcast is you have to pick a movie and not just three episodes of a TV <laughs> show, you know? But that that's Treasure Planet. Uh, before we before we sign off here, we leave people with off to go on their own various adventures. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts on the movie? Is there maybe a situation you'd recommend our viewers watch this in or someone you'd recommend they watch this with? Oh, if if you've never watched it before, absolutely do watch it. Like, I do have my complaints in seeing the cracks, but that's just over several many, many, mm-hmm. many rewatches and just becoming more critical. Like, yeah. uh, much as I complain about Ben, Ben doesn't ruin the movie. Ben just kind of, <laughs> I feel, takes away a lot of potential for the movie to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's still a wonderful movie. If you like pirate movies, you know, that swashbuckling adventure sort of yeah. stuff, this movie is definitely uh, great. But just a great, just movie to watch if you like character drama and character building and that sort of stuff because this movie definitely does a lot of good in that department as well with what with the relationship with uh jim and silver being probably just 
one of the best like uh written relationships in any mm -hmm. disney movie in my opinion it's just so good and just silver being such a very compelling uh antagonist slash villain that just kind of turns out to be not all that bad of a guy but like just seeing him struggle like you see mm -hmm. his struggle going back and forth and that's what makes him so compelling i think it's like you want to see him do good you want to see him come to jim's side and, and do well and so it's all that much more gut-wrenching when he doesn't and he just tries yeah. to feign his his toughness with all his pirate buddies uh yeah this the movie art just... is amazing oh it's the, gorgeous the, the style is great. The design of all the ships and creatures is fantastic. I think it's just worth a watch if mm -hmm. uh, if you've got the time. Uh, you can even watch it with some friends, and yeah, it's yeah. it's a great time. Yeah, I think it's a good. It's a movie that you might have missed if you were like a big Disney kid, but you didn't get around to those movies that happened right after the Renaissance. This is a great option to jump into because I think it's one of the stronger ones of the sort of like financial and critical flop era movies. Um, For sure. And like you mentioned, it has some of the best character arcs and development of any Disney movie, and just kind of they're well written arcs in general. Um, yeah, it's really interesting and beautiful animation it's just kind of a win all around uh, and in some ways it's a simple wheel meal well made like you're not going to be shocked by where characters end up but you're going to be satisfied in watching how they got there um so i think this mm -hmm. one's a solid recommendation <laughs> from this podcast it's mm -hmm. it's pretty easy breezy to get through it's a fun watch go watch it uh, in whatever situation yeah. you desire um but joe thank you so much for joining me today this has been delightful uh if our audience wants to hear more from you where can they find you well, uh, I have a YouTube channel called Joke, simply just called Joe Cat. Uh, you can find me making probably more animations from here on out now that nice. I've finished a lot of my projects. I do have a few more crap guides coming down the, <laughs> the pipeline uh, as my best well-known series is the crap guides. I'm currently mm -hmm. doing a crap guide to Final Fantasy XIV, and I've got a few of those left. Um, if you like watching live streams, I stream at twitch.tv slash Jocat, where every Wednesday I do Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Uh, every Friday I do Final Fantasy XIV, uh, and every Sunday, currently, I am doing Elden Ring, which is Ooh. providing to be very fun. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big Souls fan. I'm liking it so far. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, be sure to check out uh, all those fun stuff. I'm a huge fan of the crap guides, and I'm looking over at my wizard Gabo on the shelf. So I, I love those little animation, uh, animations you, gotta, you do with him. He's so plush. cute. You gotta, gotta get a Gabo Aww. plush. Trying to keep my cat from attacking the Gabo plush currently, but that's a story <laughs> for another time. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We're off to have our own space-faring, I'm sorry, Ethereum's-faring adventures, uh, and we'll catch you guys next time on Movie Struck. Thanks so much for listening. Adios. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on April 4th with another thrilling episode, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And for more from our guest, Joe Cat, be sure to check out the links to his content and socials in the show notes below.